When we think about all of the things that we've overcome and all of the, the landscapes and the environments that we've had to go into, corporate America is just another frontier. So many of us, and, and most of the women that I coach are, are, are the, the elder millennials, but we don't think of ourselves as still having to be the first. But yet we're right. in these environments where, gosh, you might not be the first, but you're the second. As a woman, if you can believe that there is a thing as male privilege in the corporate world, then just try to sit with the fact that there may be some different privileges that you might have that a person of color does not. And how can you leverage that little bit of power that you have to make your workplace a more psychologically safe and inclusive environment for everyone? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Power Up Women, a multi-generational conversation about leadership, power, gender, and social justice through a female lens. I'm Ann Doyle. Did any of you watch Serena Williams in her last match, probably of her career, in the U.S. Open last Friday night? You know, she had already announced she's retiring from tennis and that that would be her last tournament. She was defeated in the third round by the very gritty and much, much younger player, Ajla Tomlanovic. But Ajla had to fight for every single point. As Serena showed the world once again, the skills, the power, the heart, and the fight that have made her one of the greatest tennis players of all time. So I just wanna thank you, Serena, for not only the inspiration that you have given us for all these years, but also for really the way you changed the way women and women athletes in particular are looked at in terms of it's just fine to have muscles and power and be passionate and competitive when you get in there, uh, whether it's on a tennis court or in your career, in the workplace. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. But I first want to also mention two excellent books that I just read I want to share with you. One is The Untethered Soul, The Journey Beyond Yourself by spiritual teacher Michael Singer. I had to go to Chile to hear about this book, even though he has sold millions of copies, and it was a woman leader there who told me about it. But he teaches really powerful skills of mindfulness that can help each of us let go of negative thoughts and experiences that we have that can keep us from achieving our full potential. And another really inspirational book that I just finished reading is An Incredible Journey by race car driver Lynn St. James, who was just inducted into the Automotive Hall of Fame. Her story is an incredibly powerful story, also of a woman who led the way in a very male field. And also, I had the chance to get to know Lynn while I was working at Ford Motor Company. So if you're interested in more about her, uh, I did a podcast with her. The April 19th, 2022 episode is with Lynn St. James. And then if you're interested in books, I hope if you haven't read my book, you'll check out Powering Up, How America's Women Achievers Become Leaders. 
But we're recording this episode at the beginning of September 2022. Students are heading back to school. Adults, many of whom have been working virtually for two years because of the COVID pandemic, are heading back to the office. And some are looking forward to much more personal engagement with their work colleagues. But there are plenty of skilled workers who are dreading returning to workplace cultures that for them felt very toxic. So that's our topic today, toxic workplace cultures, how to recognize them and how not to allow them to impact your performance. And even more importantly, not to allow them to undermine your confidence and your belief in yourself. So joining us from Charlotte, North Carolina is Zanika Chapman, a business coach who specializes in helping women overcome toxic workplace experiences. And oh, there are plenty of them out there. But Zanika began her own career in public relations and marketing, but she decided to begin working for herself after her own devastating experiences with workplace bullies. So today she specializes in taking a stand against toxic workplace cultures and behaviors. Besides working one-on-one with women, she also teaches a six-week course she calls Surviving Corporate. I can't wait to hear about that one because I'm a corporate survivor. (laughs) Welcome, Zanika. Hey, Anne. I'm so excited and so honored to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. So let's start off right off the bat to get some definitions here. So how would you define toxic workplaces? Yeah, so how I define a toxic workplace is they're workplaces that tend to breed mistrust amongst all levels. There's a level of unhealthy competition. Typically, they're plagued with low morale. There are ongoing stressors and negativity and even you might find some workplace bullying in these toxic work cultures. I suppose you'd put sexual harassment, uh, obviously, in there as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's certainly, I guess, another form of bullying. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So back us up a little bit. Tell us about your own personal experiences that I know led you to how passionately you feel about this and, and your work today. I don't know how many of the listeners can relate to Devil's Wears Prada, but it's, <laughs> it was oh, minus, yeah, great movie. <laughs> minus the comedy and all the, the high fashion, right? But I basically felt like I was at the height of my career. If you've ever been in the place where you finally land your dream job, the job that you've been working all the other jobs to get to, and you finally get there, you finally made it. You're so proud of yourself. Your mom is proud of you. Your parents are telling everybody, <laughs> my, my kid works at this incredible company. And then all of a sudden it just came crashing down. And my situation was, it was very quick. It went from one day I was a rock star on the team to the next day I was literally towed verbatim these words, you're the weakest person on this team. I have never had an employee underperform as badly as you are underperforming. And I was blindsided by that. I had never been told that. I had no implication that any of this was coming. As a matter of fact, I went into the meeting prepared to have a discussion about promotion, right? I had all of my work, I was killing it. And I was so excited. And I thought that that was a conversation that we were going to have, but it was not. And the situation did not improve. But you know, here, those words were 
they felt like a wake up call to me. You know, how can I be underperforming so much in a job that I love so much? And I took those words to heart and immediately it happened on a Friday and I immediately went home and I spent the entire weekend creating my own personal improvement plan. And anyone who's been in corporate America who knows what an improvement plan is, you certainly want to put yourself in your own plan before the company puts you on a plan because we know where that path heads. And, and the conversation had hinted at that, that if I did not improve, that's where I was surely headed. So I decided, oh, no, we're not. I'm going to put myself on an improvement plan. I, I took mental notes of everything that was being told to me, places where I was not excelling, mistakes that I had made. And I started to invest in myself. I started to invest my own personal time, my own money into online courses, mentorship programs, anything that I could do to really show that I was improving. I raised my hand for all the extra projects, all the extra assignments. And I would love to tell you that that was enough, but it was not. When I presented that improvement plan to my manager who had told me that I was the weakest person on the team, she was very dismissive. She looked at it and said, well, I don't think we need to do all that. I think that that's a little excessive. And that was the beginning of, of, of my foray into what I now know to be as workplace bullying, where I was consistently harassed. I was giving projects that I wasn't getting all the details to the projects, but once I completed the projects was told, well, this was done incorrectly, or this was done poorly. There was excessive checking and reviewing of my work, which is, which are all patterns of workplace bullying, not being invited to important team meetings or being in team meetings and not really being given the platform to speak up. My work was kind of systematically, my very high profile projects were systematically replaced with very tactical administrative projects. And so as you can imagine, being, being a younger woman, a younger woman of color on this primarily predominantly white organization, I was devastated. I mean, I went through a, a very difficult season of depression. My confidence took a hit. And just to illustrate how poorly my confidence was, I literally, it would take me probably about an hour to send an email. And we're not talking about very in-depth emails. We're talking about the emails that say, hey, I just want to follow up. But it was at the point where everything that I was doing was being so scrutinized that I felt like I had to take all the extra time just to say, hey, I'm checking in, I'm following up. You know, thank you so much for your honesty and being willing to share that experience with our listeners and with the women that you work with. I, I know that that gives other people a lot of support in, in recognizing it's not just about you necessarily, mm -hmm. but I want to understand, was there a change in management that you had someone previously and then, and I see you shaking your head, no, but then what do you think was the dramatic disconnect between what you felt in terms of how you felt you were doing before this terrible wake up call that was like a complete opposite perspectives of what was really going on. Yeah, I wish I could tell you that there was a change in leadership. There was no change in leadership. There was not an actual moment where I was called in and said, hey, you know, you, you missed the mark on this thing. But what I now know is that bullies are going to bully. They need a target and they'll find one. And it doesn't. And this is something that I tell my clients all the time. It's not something that you actually did. It's, it's inherent in that person that they need a target. They need someone to take out whatever emotion it is that they're taking out. 
and they'll find that person. And it just so happened when I look back within that organization and within the culture of that place, it just happened to be my turn. And I know that 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 sounds very disheartening to people who are thinking, gosh, why me? But it just so happened to be my turn in that organization. And this particular manager had bullied people before me and they bullied people after me. So at some point, and I write about this in my book, I mean, when you find yourself in a situation like that, I mean, there really has to be this moment of analyzing, is it worth me going the extra mile to try to prove that I really can survive and that they will appreciate me in this organization? Or am I just like pounding my head against a brick wall? And the best thing to do is to protect yourself and get the heck out of there. Absolutely. And that that's something that I always say, everyone has their breaking point. And mine actually came through my one and only trusted coworker <laughs> in that scenario. And this is why I, I, I tell people, bystanders are so important because I actually had one friend who witnessed what was happening to me. She saw the dissent in my confidence, if you will. And she finally looked at me and she was a person that, that would proofread those very simple emails for me because I had mm-hmm. no, I had no confidence that wow. I was going to send them out and not be told, well, this person is a VP. You had no right speaking to them or how dare you put a timeline on someone or why would you send a follow-up without including me? Just all of these things mm-hmm. where the, the rules of the game were constantly changing. And I had mm-hmm. no way of knowing and no way to prepare that I had that one friend who finally one day looked at me and I sent her the email. I said, Hey, will you look over this for me? And she said, I will absolutely not do that. I will not do this for you anymore. I will not, what they are doing to you is wrong, but I will not stand by and watch what you are doing to you anymore. Ooh. Wow. Yeah. And and I I am forever grateful to her for that. But that was the moment where I realized that this is not something that I'm making up in my head. This mistreatment is actually real. The discrimination is real and other people are seeing it. And for me in that moment, that was all the confirmation that I needed to say, okay, this stops today. Mm-hmm. So what'd you do? <laughs> well, I, I, w- I will spare everybody the specifics because this is a leadership podcast, but there was a very difficult conversation that had to be had. And I will not shy away from saying it wasn't the most professional conversation I've ever had at work, but it is the most proud moment of my career because it is the moment where I stood up for myself. I advocated for myself. I made very clear what were my expectations of a leader And that was the day that I decided in that moment as well, because you have to be prepared that I'm no longer afraid of the consequences of this conversation, because this is the woman that I want to show up as at work. Wow. And so that brought you to the work you do today, you know, to take that learning that you had. So how did you make that, that, that leap, that jump? From being in the corporate world and and being experiencing all you experienced to understanding that there's a need out there for women to recover. Yeah. You're you're helping women who are wounded, really. I mean, 
Yeah. And, and I didn't, I didn't know how wounded I was until I entered the next job, because we all think you get out of the toxic culture and you're healed, you're fixed. That's not true. And we can talk a little bit about that later, but when it kind of became clear that I wanted to do this work on a deeper level was in the summer of 2020. And, you know, here in the States, we all know what was happening in the summer of 2020. That was the the summer that George Floyd was, was murdered. There were so many discussions online about just you know diversity, equity, and inclusion, a lot of those conversations started to talk about the workplace. And as I was in all of these different groups and all of these different platforms, I was seeing other women, particularly women of color, who I did not know, and I'm in North Carolina, as you said, but I'm, I'm listening to the stories of women in Philadelphia and Texas and Detroit, and they are having almost verbatim, word for word, the exact same situation that I had experienced. And you kind of look at that and you hear that and you look at it against, well, black women and women of color are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs, but we're not getting the same, we're not getting the same seed money. We're not, we're not making the same money as our counterparts. And to hear these stories and to hear as a result, I'm not charging what I should be charging. I'm not making the ask every day like I should be you start, I, it got very clear to me that it is these situations in corporate America that are eroding our confidence, that are hindering us from being able to go above and beyond when we decide to leave that environment. And so for me, it became very clear that I really wanted to help heal these incredibly talented, smart women from this experience that we had in one area of our life so that we could flourish in another area. You know, I know your message and the work that you're doing in terms of the actual training help could help all women, but yeah. also there's a certain perspective here in terms of the experience of African-American women or women of color working in a very, very white, very, yeah. very male, you got that double jeopardy there mm -hmm. environment. How do you really talk about that to help them see that particular experience that is unique? to them. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think one of the things that, that we do at our company is we just call it out, right? We speak to it very openly and we say, we understand the differences. There, there is a difference when you are asked to bring your authentic self to work every day. But for example, you have to chemically process your hair to be accepted. Or mm -hmm. there are comments made about the way that you speak, which in America, we speak English predominantly, but that constant, those constant microaggressions, the constant questioning, or even, you know, now in this age of extreme, everybody wants to practice D DEI the right way. There is that also added heaviness that people of color feel of, of having to explain that. Like we have, we have to be the teachers now yes. as well. Right. So we yes. have to shoulder all of that, but we also, we also have to sometimes shoulder the burden of educating everyone else. And so in, in surviving corporate, we just call it out. We speak to it very clearly that these are some of the challenges that we face, but you don't have to let those challenges define the situations or the, the experiences that you have in corporate America. Yeah. And you know, what you don't want is for all women or women of color to be leaving those situations because we need some people Absolutely. who are going to stay in there to help change as tough as it is Absolutely. to help 
change. And so a person has to make that individual decision themselves. But perhaps that's something you evaluate when a client comes to you. Does she have what it takes at that moment to hang in there and lead the way we watch Serena Williams? I mean, what she overcame and and as a result was able to change the culture of Mm -hmm. tennis. That takes quite a tough person to do that. So what's your advice to women who are thinking about that piece of it? As people of color and as women of color, we're built for it, right? We're, we're made for it. When we think about all of the things that we've overcome and all of the, the landscapes and the environments that we've had to go into, corporate America is just another frontier. It's just another piece of that, that when you think about where women and the number of women in general, just women who are in the CEO suite, then you look at the amount of women of color, it's just one more frontier. It's, it's one, another place that we haven't quite crossed yet. And so we talk about what does it feel like? Because so many of us, and, and most of the women that I coach are, are, are the, the elder millennials, but we don't think of ourselves as still having to be the first but yet we're in these environments where, gosh, you might not be the first, but you're the second (laughs) or you're the third, right? Right, right, yeah. And so what does it feel like? Because we read these stories about Serena and we think, oh my gosh, she's changed the game of tennis, look at her, but we don't feel Serena. Hmm. And we don't feel that sometimes it's okay to be afraid. Sometimes it's okay to be hurt and disappointed. And sometimes, and I know I'm going to catch a lot of flack for this, but sometimes, you know what, as a Black woman, it is okay to be angry. Oh, yeah. But that's one that we shy away from because that's a stereotype that often gets placed on us. If we're a little too... Yeah, Michelle Obama. I mean, look at that. Yeah, yeah. If if we're a little too passionate, and I'm just going to be real here, our counterparts will be, oh my gosh, she's so passionate about her job. But Zanika, why are you so angry? What are you mad about? you know what? We are human beings and we have the right to experience a full range of emotion. And sometimes the emotion that we're feeling at the moment is actually anger. And we need to be able to acknowledge that and then move, you know, sit in those emotions, sit in those feelings, but then determine how are we going to move forward from here? Mm -hmm. Right. There's a, a wonderful Harvard Business School mantra that I always try to remind myself about. Maybe you've heard it. And it's called tough on issues, soft on people. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people think in, other, in order to be tough on whatever issue they're advocating for or fighting for, they have to be tough on the people on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Or people don't want to offend people. And so they're squishy and soft on the issue because they don't want to get people mad at them. And so there's this balance about advocating very strongly for your position or yourself or the issue you're fighting for, but also some kind of consciousness about the other side. And that goes for people who are listening too. Mm -hmm. In terms of when someone is advocating very strongly, perhaps feeling angry if it's not about if it's about the issue and it's not about the people right to be willing to listen to that and not be afraid of anger or passion in other people if Mm -hmm. it's directed at making the world a better place or a work culture a better place yes so tell us about your surviving corporate six-week training 
session. What is that? Yeah. So I, I call Surviving Corporate a, a workplace detox program, but it's it's kind of like, I, I call it career development for career-oriented women or life coaching for career-oriented women, but it's not career coaching. So, and, and, and it's because a lot of the women who come to me are not having great corporate experiences. And so a lot of the traditional career development programs of how do you build your resume? How do you conduct yourself in an interview? It's very difficult to hear that advice when you're coming from a place where work has been harmful. And so how do we heal the individual from the harmful experiences, from the trauma that they've had at work. And so this is really a container where we can talk through what is the trauma that you've experienced. It's a place where you can acknowledge the feelings that have happened because oftentimes, you know, women of color, we we are taught to only exhibit strength. We're not really taught how to be vulnerable. And so we will say things, Things like, well, it's whatever, or, you know, well, I feel some type of way without saying, but how do you feel? What type of way is it? And we acknowledge what the pain from the work environments we've had. We talk about fear because oftentimes when you've been in in a toxic work culture, you know that what you have, it's like sitting in your dirty diaper. You know what you got, don't feel good, but you're too afraid to go try the other thing. And usually that's because a toxic work culture has told you there's something about you that's not good enough. So I'm too afraid to take the leap because what if the toxic messaging is true about me? And so we can shed that toxic messaging and get real about what is it that I really do want? You know, what are the things that I'm I'm too afraid to say to my partner, to my best friend, to my parents about my work? environment or just my work life or my relationship with work. And once we identify those things, we can start to create a different path of what your new relationship with work is going to look like. Because oftentimes when you're a career-oriented woman, there's a lot of identity tied up in that work. There's a joke that I love that epitomizes some of this that affects so many women. And that is, you know, you see that a a man and a woman standing in front of a mirror and they're looking at themselves and the pants are a little too tight. And the woman says, oh, gosh, I got to lose a few pounds. And the man says, those dry cleaners shrunk my pants. In other words, it's the idea that, you know, we, there must be something wrong with us. We immediately go to, there must be something wrong with us. Whereas men, and there's a lot of research about this, men immediately are, there's something wrong with the outside world that don't, they don't recognize how fabulous I am. And that's That's cultural. You talk about having an accountability partner. What is that? And, and how would you advise people to choose a good one? It's different than a mentor, very different from a sponsor. Absolutely. And and it's, I often tell people too, it's not your best friend. So (laughs) an accountability partner to me is really about finding someone who's going to match your level of commitment. And so if you're talking about an accountability partner, and, and, and we talk about this in all kinds of facets, but if it's fitness or if it's building your career, You don't want to partner with someone just to say, I've got another physical body here. You want to partner with a person who's equally committed to that goal. So this is not the person who, you know, I'm just going to call and say, hey, Ann, I'm just calling you because I'm going running. You want to partner with that person who Ann is going to run 
with or without you mm. because she <laughs> is just that committed to the goal for herself. And so you want to be with someone who's going to match that level of commitment. And sometimes, you know, as a coach, I've found sometimes I've got to pay for that level of accountability. I've got to pay for that person who's going to believe in me more than I believe in myself sometimes. Well, obviously you are offering yourself as a incredibly skilled and passionate accountability partner. How do people reach you if they'd like to know more about you, perhaps take your surviving corporate course or work with you one-on-one? Yeah, so you can find me on all the socials. I'm Zanika Chapman on Facebook and LinkedIn, but I am Z underscore Chatman on link on IG. And I also have a website, ZanikaChapman.com. So that's where you guys can find me. You know, at the very beginning of this, I mentioned a couple of books that have inspired me recently. Would you share a couple maybe that have inspired you? Actually, I have two by the same author. One is called The Memo. The other is called Right Within, and they are both written by Minda Hartz. And if you are someone, if you're a woman of color in the corporate world, I think both of those books are incredible outlines. The Memo is written more as as an outline of kind of what to expect in the corporate world. And then Right Within is more about healing from workplace trauma. And I think both of those books are phenomenal for anyone who is in those situations, but they're also really good for someone who wants to learn more about what does it really look like and feel like to be a woman of color working in in the corporate world. You know, I can't help but ask you one more question. And that is that, you know, you talked about this extra burden that women of color carry in terms of being asked to be teachers. But I would love to hear anything you would say to, let's say, white women who, who witness, are aware of, who witness, and want to be allies. Any advice you'd share with us? Yeah, I would say, remember my friend that I described. You, you just don't know sometimes, as a bystander, the power that you hold. You may be just in saying to someone, I recognize what is happening to you and I don't agree with it, you could be that catalyst for that person rebuilding their own confidence and taking back their power. The other thing that I I often say to, to my friends who are white is to just think about if, and, and as a woman, if you can believe that there is a thing as male privilege in the corporate world, then just try to sit with the fact that there may be some different privileges that you might have that a person of color does not. And how can you leverage that little bit of power that you have to make your workplace a more psychologically safe and inclusive environment for everyone? Amen. Thank you so much, leadership coach Zanika Chatman. Congratulations for taking a stand against toxic workplace cultures, naming it, and for all you are doing, really, Zanika, to help other women overcome their and any impact they've had and regain their confidence to continue powering up to their full potential. Now let's all go power up. Thanks for joining us at Power Up Women. We hope you'll keep listening. 
And if you can spare a couple of minutes, please rate us on Google, Apple, or your favorite podcast platform. It really helps build visibility for the podcast and and helps other aspiring women to find this podcast. So we have over 100 episodes, and we'd love to hear your ideas for future ones through my website, andoyleleadership.com. And remember, when one woman rises, we all rise. Make sure you reach back and lift others as you climb. I'm Ann Doyle.